0: It's great to be here again this morning. Let's just pray together. Lord, I just, uh, I just thank you that once again we can come here and enter into your presence and uh, just spending time in worship, worship together and glorifying your name. And Lord, I just pray this morning that you give us uh, ears and hearts to hear what it is that you want to say to us. Let's pray that you give us uh, the courage that we need to make changes in our lives where we need to make change. Yeah, we just uh, commit this morning to you in your precious name. Amen. All right, so number two of the, uh, the two-part resolving conflict, which is part of the uh, You Drive Me Nuts series or People Who Drive Me Nuts series. Um, Last week, we started looking at the seven steps, seven godly steps to resolving conflict. And so last week, we spent uh, the whole week um, looking at step one. Can anyone remember what step one was? There's no prize, so sorry. Does anyone remember? Was anyone listening? Take the initiative, very good. <laughs> Woohoo! Taking the initiative, taking that first step. And uh, last week we looked at um, the fear that can come from taking that first step. And we looked at how fear um, makes us distant and it makes us defensive. And uh, we looked at how we can become demanding when we're fearful, where we're in an argument and we are striving to, to come up with that, that last word and, and storm out and, and win that argument. You know, we looked at how uh, taking that initiative, taking that first step requires courage and that true courage comes from God. Taking the initiative requires that we arrange that meeting that we were talking about, that we that we set aside time with the other person that we're in conflict with. And it's about finding that right time and that right place that suits everyone that's involved. And then there was the importance of prayer and how we should be praying about the situation constantly. And then going into that that meeting, into that time together um, with an attitude that's a positive one. So that's what we looked at last week in a nutshell and um, so today we're going to look at what we do once we've taken that first step, once we've taken the initiative and, and what do we do once we get to that point, what do we do once we get to, to be in front of that person that we're in conflict with and, uh, and we've prayed about it and we're, we're coming with a positive attitude, we're looking to, to resolve whatever's going on. So what, what's, what's the next step? You know That's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at the remaining six steps. I promise I won't take as long on the six, each one of the six, as I did on the one. The one was pretty important and there was a lot of stuff in there. But uh... All right, so step one was taking the initiative. Has everyone got handouts, pens, pens at the ready? Okay, there's a first blank here, number two. Okay, number two, confess my part in the conflict or confess your part. I don't know how you want to write that one down. So that's the first step that we come to in the meeting, in this in this get-together with, with the pe- people or person that we're in conflict with. You know, that's the, that's the biblical thing to do, to confess our part first. You know, the other person that we're in conflict with might be 99.9% in the wrong but that means that you're responsible for the 0.1%. So that's the first thing that we need to do. We need to confess our 0.1% if that's what we're at fault for. Another way of looking at it is that we are 100% to blame for that 0.1%. So we confess our part and that's called humility. You know, it would be my guess that in in most conflicts that we come up against that we're more than 0.1% at fault. But the important thing to think about here is that it it starts with us. We take the initiative, we start with ourselves and we confess the things that we have done wrong. You know, we don't come and we don't start with condemning of the other person or, or accusation. You know, you don't start with, you did this and you did that. This is what you did wrong. This is what's wrong with you instead of accusing and attacking and blaming it's important to begin with humility and deal with our part and you know what God knows about that too He you know just like last week how we how we were talking about um, those people that that we just can't get along with you know the crazy makers remember those ones you know those people that you just can't seem to please the people that uh, that for some reason. Um, seem to even crave conflict. You know, God knew about them and, and just like that, God knows that, that uh, you know, we've, we've got blind spots in our lives. And, um, yeah, and so Jesus deals with the, the blind spots in our lives in, in Matthew 7 where it says, Why do you notice the little piece of dust or the splinter in your friend's eye but you... Don't notice the big piece of wood, that pylon that's in your own eye. First take that pylon, that log, out of your eye and then you will see clearly to take the splinter or the speck or the dust out of your friend's eye. That's humility right there. It's about starting with our part in the conflict. And right at the very start we need to ask ourselves questions like, am I being unrealistic Am I being ungrateful in this relationship? Am I being insensitive? Am I being oversensitive? Am I being demanding? You know, one of the most popular excuses for people getting divorced in today's society is that they're incompatible. People say, we're going to get divorced because we're just incompatible. Now, if you really think about that, everyone is incompatible we're all different. Everyone is different. You're never going to marry someone who is exactly like you and I think, to be honest, that's probably a good thing. You know, we are incompatible with everyone because we are all different. Praise God for that. I am so glad that our God loves variety. You know the real issue that people face in relationships isn't the incompatibility it's immaturity. People refuse to grow up. People refuse to change. You know as humans we can be a real self-centered bunch and we have to make a choice. We have to be willing to change and grow as we form relationship with people. You know given the right situation you could actually fall in love with anybody. If you put in the right circumstances, the right situation, you can fall in love because love is a choice. You can choose to love people or you can choose not to love people. Love is a choice. And many times throughout our lives, we're going to need to grow up. My nature, me, Matt Koenig, it's in my nature to be self-centred, it's in my nature to be stubborn and it's in my nature to think only of myself and I don't think about any of you. In fact, as an elder of this church, I don't think about anyone but myself. Just kidding. Of course, (laughs) of course, I think about you and, and the leadership team and I hope that we all think of each other and pray for each other throughout the week. It's a really important thing but in our human nature... We mostly think about ourselves, don't we? You know, I'm always thinking about myself. What's best for me? What do I need? I'm always doing that. And I think I could safely say that that most of you sitting here this morning are in the same boat. You know, we don't mean to do it, but we do because it's in our nature. And at times, without even realising it, our self-centredness can creep to the forefront in our lives. And so we need to make sure that we keep that in check. You know, more relationships and more marriages and, and friendships die from inflexibility than anything else. You know, we say, I'm unwilling to move on this. I'm unwilling to change. I'm unwilling to take that first step. I'm unwilling to show a little humility. And as a result, because of our humanness and our self centeredness relationships then shrivel and die. You know, sometimes you might find yourself in a relationship and, and this, this applies particularly to marriage relationships where you find yourself that you're in a place where you're stuck, you're trapped. You know, you, you find where you're in a spot where you just, you can't seem to move forward, you can't, yeah, you're just trapped, you're stuck in the mud. It's like the relationship is going nowhere. It's a bit like a traffic jam. You know, it's something that we don't really have experience of up here in the top end. But does everyone know what a traffic jam is? Yes, yes, you know, where cars are all banked up and, you know, and so we can, we can come across those same sorts of jams in our relationships. And so when we encounter a relational jam, how do we break it? You may even be in one right now and it's the same way to break it, which is humility. You need to take that first move and humility breaks the traffic jam and starts things moving. Now let me share with you a sentence that is easy to use that is going to break any relational traffic jam. It's like a quick fix. So, listen carefully. You might even want to write it down on your handout there in a blank spot. It's this, I'm sorry, I was only thinking of myself. Can we all say that? I'm sorry, I was only thinking of myself. Okay, so if you say that and actually mean it, Okay? It will break any relational blockage. So firstly, we take that initiative and then we confess our part in the conflict. And then the third thing we do, the third thing on your sheet there, when we're resolving conflict is listen for the hurt. There's a phrase that says, hurt people, hurt people. When I get hurt, when you get hurt, we hurt the ones that are around us. If someone is hurting you, it's almost guaranteed it's because someone has hurt them. Maybe you have hurt them. Or maybe it's just someone else that's hurt them, but you're in the firing line. But it's almost certain that they're hurt by someone. So we need to listen for the hurt in the midst of conflict. We have to stop thinking about ourselves and think about the other person. We have to have empathy. You know, it doesn't matter what type of relationship that's in conflict, whether it's a marriage or just a friendship or a work work colleague, even conflict between countries. You know, when people feel robbed of their dignity, they feel afraid. There's that fear again that we were talking about last week. And out of that fear comes hurt and out of that hurt comes conflict. You know, as I shared last week, I used to uh, bottle up my hurts and my problems, and sweep them under the rug. And I think I can safely say hiding hurts and feelings is pretty much an Aussie thing to do, an Aussie bloke thing to do. And uh, as guys, you know, we might we might find ourselves in situations where we get hurt in conversation, but instead of saying two simple words, "I'm hurt," we say nothing. Or we go on the attack. You're wrong. And this is why. You did this and you did that. You know, sometimes we can get on such a roll and go into great detail about the other person and their failures that it's almost like pulling out a, a flow chart and say, This is where you went wrong. Here, 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 and here. You know, and it doesn't help, it just adds fuel to the fire. And it could have all been avoided by using two simple words I'm hurt. Conflict comes out of the hurt that's in our lives. If you want to connect with people, you're going to have to start with their need and that means you're going to have to start with their hurt. So how do we hear hurt? How do we listen for hurt? A great verse is in James 1.19 where it says, Be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to get angry. To listen for the hurt... We have to do exactly what it says. It's pretty simple. We have to listen. You know, God has given us two ears and one mouth. I think that means that we should probably be listening twice as much as what we talk. And when we really listen, we can hear the hurt that is in someone's life. You know, listening is the key to begin to diffuse a conflict. Listening is the key to understanding where people are coming from, understanding their circumstances, understanding their background, understanding their perspective and understanding them. We've got to listen. That one verse in James that we just looked at, if we put that in place in our lives, in our relationships, then it can save them, it can restore them. It can move our relationships on, move them to a better place. So be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. We need to listen for the hurt. And as you're listening for that hurt, there are two areas that we need to be especially considerate about. Romans 15.2 says, We must be considerate about the doubts and the fears of others. I've got doubts and fears, you've got doubts and fears and many times in a conflict we might hit the nerve of someone's doubt, we might hit the nerve of someone's fear and because of that all of a sudden conflict starts coming our way. If we want people to consider our doubts and our fears then we need to take that initiative, to take that first step And consider their doubts, their fears, their hurt. So use your ears to listen for the hurt. Number four, consider their perspective. Consider the way that 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 other person might be thinking about the situation. Consider their viewpoint. You know, we need to intentionally shift our focus from our needs, our point of view, our desire to win that argument to the other person's needs. We need to shift away from that self-centeredness that we already talked about this morning. We need to get their perspective. You know, Rick Warren tells a story of how he, uh, he goes to a wedding and he sits down in the congregation behind um, an older couple and he, he noticed that there was a seat between the two of them. And there was obvious tension in the air. And uh, a few times through the service, the husband sort of leans over to the wife and points to something, points something out of the front of the church at the back, and, and the wife just sat there staring straight ahead, completely ignoring him. And so there was this chair between them, this rift, this valley. And then about halfway through the service, the pastor who was performing the ceremony says, there are few things that are worth arguing about. And even if we do argue, we've got to learn to forgive. And as the pastor said that, these these two people, they, they both sort of looked at each other. And then they went back to looking at the front again. And then about 20 seconds later, Rick said the tension in the man's shoulders suddenly disappeared, and he moved one seat over closer to his wife. You know, this is the, uh, the issue in relationships that someone's got to swallow their pride and take that initiative and move that one step uh, one chair over. We've got to start seeing things from the other person's perspective. And we've got to make that first move. You know, the person who makes that first move is, is the person who stops saying, how do I see it? What about me? And starts thinking about how do they see it? What are they going through? You know, the Bible says in Philippians 2, 4 and 5, it says, each of you should not only um, for your own... In- uh, sorry, let me start that again. Each of you should look not only for your own interests but also for the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. You know, so how do we do it? How do we we consider the other person's perspective? You know, there's an important word in that verse which I actually dropped out the first time I read it, which is surprising, which is the word look. In Greek, the word look is skopos. If you scope something out, you know, forms words like microscope where you look at things really closely and words like telescope where you can make things that are distant seem close you know we need to we need to scope out the other person's perspective we need to focus on the other person's perspective we are most like christ when we pay attention to other people's needs It's easy to tell ourselves that I've got needs and what about my needs in the middle of this? You know, there's that pesky self-centeredness again. Psalm 139.3 says, God, you notice everything that I do and you know everywhere I go. You know, we need to remember and realize that there is a God in heaven, a a Father in heaven who is, is there to take notice and to take care of our every need. We need to realise that we are not in situations alone. You know, God takes care of our needs so that we can help others with theirs. If you're expecting some other human being on this planet, whether it's your wife or a husband or one of your kids or someone at work or a friend at school, if you're expecting someone other than God to take care of all your needs, then you're going to end up in conflict Because other people are as imperfect as we are. And at the end of the day, no matter how hard they try, no matter how hard they want to provide everything for you, they're going to fail. They're always going to fall short of our needs. So we need to recognize that there is a God in heaven who is willing to meet those needs in our life. And when we realize this, we will find that we have new freedom. Because we know He's going to meet our needs we have freedom, we have a release and we can begin to look and consider the needs of other people in our lives. So we take that initiative, we confess our part, we listen for the hurt and we consider the other person or people's perspectives. And then step five is very important. We need to tell the truth tactfully You know, when you're talking to a person in conflict, you need to be tactful. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians, speak the truth in love. You know, what we say to people might be the truth, but if we're not speaking it in a way that is loving, then it's not going to go down too well. And we're probably only going to make it worse. Never use the truth as a club. You know, what you're saying might be true, but don't use the truth to beat people over the head. I think using truth as a club is, is uh, only allowed on the internet, or so it seems. I don't know if anyone's ever looked at comments and posts on YouTube videos and all that kind of stuff, how nasty and horrible people can be. But it seems that on the net, people can just do whatever they want. People seem to be subtle as sledgehammers with no regard for the other people. So we need to tell the truth tactfully and we need to speak the truth in love. Proverbs twelve eighteen says this, reckless words, that's the kind of words that you, you say in an argument where you weren't thinking. So reckless words pierce like a sword. And I think we all can uh, understand what it feels like to be pierced in an argument. So reckless words pierce like a sword but the tongue of the wise brings healing. In other words, foolish words hurt, wise words heal. And again, it's our choice as to what sort of words we use. You know, you're never going to get your point across by being angry. You are never persuasive when you're abrasive. So we need to tell the truth tactfully. Truth without love is resisted. Truth wrapped in love is received. People will grow faster, change faster and easier when truth is wrapped in love. But there must also be trust. Trust is really important. In order to form trust, there must be relationship in the first place. People must trust you before you can tell them the truth. You know, you can't just walk up to someone in the street and tell them the truth about what they're doing wrong and expect a good result out of it. We need to form a relationship and in doing so, build up trust. People will learn to trust you by you proving that you love them and that you accept them, warts and all. When you have that trust, then you can start to say things that you couldn't normally say. But there needs to be love and there needs to be trust before you can tell that truth. Ephesians 4.29 20, says, Do not use harmful words, but only helpful words, the kind that build up and provide what is needed. You know, so when we're in this conversation, when we're we're sitting down with this person that we're in conflict with, the first thing we need to do is actually think. Think before we speak. Is what I am about to say going to be helpful or is it going to be hurtful? Is it going to build them up or is it going to tear them down? And it's a skill that I think um, we all need to learn. We need to attack the problem, not the person. And so probably up until this point today, we've, we go through arguments and we go through conflict where we, at some point, attack the other person rather than the problem that we're trying to deal with. And I think that's something that we need to all make an effort to change from today. You know, a good example of the wrong way is looking at political ads. Um... You know, political ads are always attacking the person. You know, they always have that really horrible photo of the person and then they attack the person and not the policy. We need to learn to attack the issue without attacking each other. And so we need to tell the truth tactfully without attacking that other person. And so related to that is number six. Fix the problem, not the blame. You know, we all only have a certain amount of emotional energy that we can use. And in a conversation when you're trying to resolve conflict, we can either use that energy to fix blame or we can use that energy to fix the problem. You know, we don't have enough energy to do both. And so, again, we need to ask, ask ourselves... What's more important, to blame them or to resolve the problem? Fix the problem, not the blame. Here's a uh, saying that you might find useful to help you remember this. How do you spell blame? Be lame. Anytime you blame, you're being lame. People that blame are lame. Don't be lame. Fix the problem, not the blame. So related to this is a really helpful thing to do, especially for couples. It's really important, I think, that we take time to establish ground rules. Ground rules around words that we won't ever use in an argument, no matter how angry we get. You know, things like in a marriage, don't don't say... That's it, I'm done, I'm leaving. Doesn't help. Don't threaten divorce. You know, don't bring up the other person's family. It's not helpful. So take time to set ground rules where you agree that you're not going to use particular things in arguments, no matter how bad the argument gets. You know, they're off limits because they don't do anything to help they destroy, they aren't going to build up, all they're going to do is tear down. You know, the Bible is very specific about what's out of bounds. Colossians 3.18 says, you must rid yourself. Notice this is an optional one, it says you must You must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. So those things aren't allowed because they're not going to help anyone. You know, anger and rage, don't try and intimidate people with anger. People can't be threatened into doing the right thing if you're angry. It doesn't work. In fact, it just makes things worse. You know that reading also says don't use malice and slander. What's malice? What's malicious words? You know they're the words that are designed to hurt. They're those words that we can say that we know will push the other person's button. There are certain things that we can say that that can damage and that can wound and that can destroy. We need to make sure that those things are off limits. So no anger, no rage, no malice, no slander. What's slander? Slander is insults. No slurs, no name calling, no labeling, no belittling. Here's another one of those those sayings like the, the don't be lame. Little people be little people. And then there's a second part to that, which says, great people make people feel great. I like that one. Romans fourteen thirteen says, let us stop passing out judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. You know, the reason why we fix the problem and not the blame is because blaming is a form of judging. And only God has the right to judge. We're not the judge, God is. So don't blame, don't be lame. And finally, number seven, focus on reconciliation, not resolution. Focus on reconciliation, not resolution. You know, there's a big difference here between reconciliation and resolution. Reconciliation is all about re-establishing and building relationship. It's about moving forward. Resolution means resolving everything, resolving every issue, resolving everything so that we no longer have any disagreements, so that we no longer have any problems. You know, resolution isn't going to happen because there are some things that we've already talked about this morning that we're never going to agree on. You know, there is no one on this planet who agrees with everything that you say. Nobody. So you're never going to find resolution of all your issues. Remember, we are all different, we all have different personalities. There's men and there's women. You know, we're we're not always going to agree on stuff. We're different ages. We have different personalities. We're never going to find someone who agrees with you or agrees with us on everything. So if you're looking for a person like that, stop now. Can you have a loving relationship without agreeing on everything? Of course you can you can have reconciliation. Reconciliation without resolution of every issue because there are some things that we're always going to disagree on. If you learn to disagree without being disagreeable, that's called wisdom. If you learn that you can have unity without uniformity, that's called wisdom. And I like this one. If you walk hand in hand without seeing eye to eye, that's called wisdom. You know, we don't have to agree on every single issue to be able to come to reconciliation. You know, I think a fairly important side note is that if we're focusing on the relationship, truly focusing on the relationship, regardless of what issues we've got going on, we're going to find that there's some things that we're arguing about that we don't even need to because they're not important so forget about them. You know, there are some things that you're never going to change about your husband or your wife or your friends or your parents or your kids. There are some things that are never going to change, so let it go. You know, we need to say to ourselves, I'm going to focus on the positive and not the negative. And people aren't going to change if we attack them about it. You know, this morning I want to challenge us as a church family, as as a family here at Cornerstone Christian Fellowship, that in this world that is filled with conflict, that is filled with disagreement, where there's anger, where there's conflict, where there's prejudice and racism, where there's envy, you know, the world tends to divide. You know, I want to challenge us this morning to become agents of reconciliation. Reconciliation. You know, one of the greatest things that we can do in our lives is be bridge builders, not wall builders. The rest of the world out there is, is building walls, is securing their little space in, and place in the world. We need to be bridge builders. You know, we are most like Jesus Christ when we are reconciling people. We are most like Jesus when we're building bridges and not walls. You know, that's exactly what Jesus came here to earth to do. He's the great reconciler, the great bridge builder. He built bridges to reconnect us to God. You know, God sent Jesus to to earth to reconcile us because we are all in conflict with God. You know, you might not realise this, but until you accept Christ into your life and you give complete control of your life over to him and get into God's plan, then you're going to be in rebellion and in conflict against God. You know, you might be saying, God, I want to run my life my way. I want to do my thing. How did God respond to that? Just like step one from last week, he took the initiative. He didn't wait. God sent Jesus to come into the world as a baby, to experience the life, the challenges, the struggles, the conflicts that we all experience. He sent Jesus to die for us. Before we even knew that there was a problem, he sent Jesus to die for us. God took that first step. He took the initiative. Jesus looks at us and says, I'm going to come and I'm going to reconcile you to God. I'm going to build a bridge that bridges that gap that was created when sin entered the world. You know, my prayer this morning is that we'll become that sort of people, the ones that take the initiative, the ones that confess our part in conflict, that listen for the other person's hurt and consider the other person's perspective. You know, it is my prayer that we will be people that build trust through relationship and tell truth in love, that we will be people who fix the problem rather than looking for someone to blame and people who reconcile and rebuild relationship. I pray that we are people who build bridges because this world is filled with conflict and it's filled with isolated people who need to be connected to God. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 5, nine: Blessed are the peacemakers... For they will be called the children of God. Peacemakers. Not peace lovers. You know, there's a lot of people in this world that, that love peace. It says peacemakers. Not peacekeepers. You know, there's a lot of them too, those people that are running around constantly trying to fix every single problem that they come up against, and they they just get it to this sort of status quo where everything's just not boiling over, but they're never really dealing with the issues. It says, blessed are the peacemakers. Be a peacemaker. That means that we need to take these seven godly steps that we have looked at over these last two weeks and we need to remember them. We need to burn them into our brains. We need to use them. We need to put them into action. And then we need to teach other people that we come into contact with those same steps so that we can make this world a better place, that we can build bridges, that we can connect people back to God. What we need to do. Let's just pray together. God, I just thank you that we can come together as a church family every week and just enter into your presence. I just thank you for the way that you are continually challenging each one of us, refining and renewing us. I thank you for our relationships thank you for your word. Thank you for the teaching that we get in this place. Thank you for Pastor Neil and, and for his sacrifice and his time that he puts so diligently into this place. Let us thank you that we can spend life together with you and with each other. Lord, I just pray that you help us to remember these steps that we've looked at over these last two weeks so that we can put into practice being your peacemakers. Lord, I pray that when we encounter conflict, no matter how great that we, that we have wisdom, that we have godly wisdom to respond in a manner that is honouring to you. Lord, I pray that you help us to keep our self-centeredness at bay. pray that we think of others rather than ourselves. I pray that in all situations we encounter, we can use them to glorify you. God, I pray that you continue to show us the things that we need to change in our lives so that we can become the people that you want us to be. Lord, give us the courage to change. Give us the courage to remove that log from our eye before we worry about anyone else. Lord, we just thank you for your grace and your mercy, for your forgiveness and love. We thank you that when we fall and when we fail, you pick us back up again. Lord, we just thank you that you walk alongside us every step of the, day, of the way and that we are never alone. We thank you that you can provide all our needs. Lord, just help us to depend on you rather than the others around us. Help us to depend on you alone. You know, Lord, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, and, and particularly at this time of year where we can remember that amazing gift, that little baby that just came into this world and came to do such great things. Help us not to, re- to forget that this, this Christmas season, Lord. Help us to, to show and share the real meaning of Christmas to those around us. Lord we just thank you for for that precious gift of your son Jesus in your name amen